Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day that we can worship you together in. Uh, Father, thank you that we get to see one another at the drive through later. Pray that that would be a wonderful time. And then, Lord, as we turn now to your word, would you please give us your Holy Spirit to understand what you have before us? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to Current. I'm David. Really do hope that we get to see you today at the drive through It's going to be a lot of fun reconnecting with people and passing out treats. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're continuing our series that we kicked off last week. We're still the church as we remind ourselves of our mission and how that hasn't changed just because we're in the middle of shelter in place. What is our mission? We considered this last week. talked about how Jesus said our, our mission is to make disciples, make followers of his. In Acts 1.8, it says to be my witnesses. Well, how can we do that? Jesus said you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, today, as we look at Acts chapter 2, we see the time in which the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and more specifically, how he equips us as a church for the mission that he's given us. So again, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words will be on the screen. But we were looking at the first 15 verses, at least as I read them, and then considering uh, more text as we go along. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 15 say, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, that is, all the disciples. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> Which there's so much we could say and talk about here. Uh, it's just such a jam-packed uh, text. Um, but we're trying to focus on kind of the high level of what we're considering today. And that is how the Holy Spirit equips us for this mission he gives us to make disciples of Jesus, to make followers of Jesus. The first thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit opens opportunities. He creates opportunities. Again, there's a lot we could talk about here. The, the disciples were sitting in the upper room and a violent wind rushed through that room, shook the house, and tongues of fire came and rested upon each man and woman disciple, enabling them to speak languages other than their, their, their native tongue. And there's so much we could talk about. There's a lot of conjecture that we could put out there. But there is one thing that is absolutely clear. God was in this fashion making it unmistakably clear that his Holy Spirit had come upon the church. And for the purpose of helping people come to know him. 
because this is a lot of dramatic events. This is a, you know, a lot of amazing things, miraculous things happening. And what did it create but a crowd of people curious to hear more, to understand what was going on? What's important to understand when it comes to God's mission is that he holds the initiative. You know, as, as, as a church, for instance, we might make plans and strategize and what we can do to reach people or help people or love and care people, tell people about Jesus. But really, at the end of the day, it's God who pursues people. It's he who loves, serves, and, and reaches out to bring them into his family. And we just get to play a part in that. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't make plans or strategize and do all that sort of thing, but it's he who makes, takes the initiative. It's not like the church woke up that day and said, hey, let's do something to bring 3,000 people together to tell them about Jesus. No, it's God who initiates, and we who get to partner with him. The Holy Spirit opens opportunities, so the question is, are you watching for those? Are you paying attention to the opportunities that the Holy Spirit might be opening up right in front of you, including during shelter in place? For instance, I shared a story last Sunday of a neighbor who, who dropped by when I was outside playing with our kids out in our shared garage space. And I shouldn't say playing with our kids. I was more just kind of vegging out on my foldable chair while the kids played because I was just having a really long day. I was really tired, spent. But when my neighbor came by and her daughter started playing with, with my kids, I wasn't going to be a jerk and just, you know, continue to veg out. But I engaged in a conversation, got to know her. And lo and behold, you know, not long into that conversation, she was asking me about things of Jesus, about the church, how she could be a part of things, how she could attend on a Sunday morning or whatever it might be. And after, after that conversation ended, I was just like, okay, God, <laughs> even in spite of us, he will often use us towards his mission. But we, we've got to be paying attention. We've got to be, because so often God, through his Holy Spirit, is doing things that he invites us into if we would just join him in that work. So that's one thing he does. He opens opportunities. But the other way that the Holy Spirit equips us for his mission is that he emboldens us. I mean, that's what really Peter is doing here as he stands up and addresses the crowd. I mean, a good chunk of that crowd was making fun of him, right? These guys have had too much wine. Now, real quickly, Peter doesn't, you know, just let that slide. He addresses that. He says, hey, ain't nobody drunk here. It's only nine in the morning, which I think as a, as a quick sidebar is important for Christians to consider because we need to address misconceptions and objections to the faith when they arise. Not necessarily to convince people, but just to share that there are answers. Because it's my humble opinion that, in especially the area where we live, there's this notion that Christians turn off their brains on Sunday mornings but not so. So we need to address objections and misconceptions. But what we see here is, is a Peter emboldened, a, a, a Peter empowered by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just, but a little over 50 days before this time that Peter had literally abandoned and denied Jesus. And yet now he's standing in front of a crowd of 3,000 people, the same crowd that crucified Jesus, as we'll see in this text, and Preaching about Jesus? I mean, this is an emboldened guy because he's stepping into it and the Holy Spirit is, is empowering him. He, he was also a Galilean. I mean, the crowd actually even calls that out and says, wait, aren't these people Galileans? You see that in verse 7. They're utterly amazed by that fact. That's because back in that day, Galileans were looked down upon. They had a really thick accent. So people thought of them as unsophisticated. Who are they to be listened to? And of course, Peter was also a fisherman. 
and unqualified on paper. And it's not like he was prepared for this moment, like he had written a speech the night before that he was going to give. No, Peter was emboldened by the Holy Spirit because he was stepping into this opportunity that the Holy Spirit was creating for him, creating for the church. This is important for us to consider, I believe, because often, it seems to me, Christians can shrink back from opportunities, can recoil, thinking things like, oh, they're just going to make fun of me if I, you know, talk about Jesus here, or it's going to affect the relationship, or it won't matter anyhow. But Christian friend, if we have the words of life in Jesus, we've got to find ways to hold them out, regardless of how the crowd or the person may or may not respond. I've had the opportunity over the years to talk about Jesus, of course, any number of times. And there's been plenty of times where when I've gotten to the place where I'm getting ready to talk about Jesus, you know, that make or break it moment of saying, okay, we're going to go there in this conversation. Any number of times where I'm like, boy, I don't know if I want to, or I don't know if I should. You know, all these different feelings that I've, I've talked about here in the last little bit. But I can tell you that every time that I have stepped into that, when God has graciously allowed me to get over myself, I never regret it. And there, I always get to see God do wonderful things. Even if people don't like, you know, make a faith statement right there, make faith confession right then and there, I never regret it. It's always a wonderful opportunity to see God work. But the question is, when God creates opportunities, will you step up? Because he will empower you. He will embolden you. He will equip you for that purpose. Uh, the third way we see the Holy Spirit equipping us for our mission in this text is in that he points people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. That's what he does. That's that's this primary thing that he does in and through us, is point people to Jesus. In fact, uh, when when Peter talked it here, he said, when he got to the meat of his sermon, in verse 23, fellow Israelites, listen to this, Jesus. Of course, he went on to talk about Jesus and different things about Jesus, but the, the point is, the point is Jesus. The Holy Spirit's concentration is on the person and work of Jesus. In fact, this is how Jesus said it to his own disciples in John 15, calling the Holy Spirit by another name. He said this, When the Advocate comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. He points people to Jesus. Theologians have coined a term, that they used to describe the early teachings of the Christian church. From Peter here in this first sermon of the church to all the way to Paul and his teachings and and, uh, letters to the early Christian churches, there's a concentration of teaching that they've coined the term called the kerygma, which literally means the the proclamation, this concentration of teaching. And what is the kerygma? What, What did Peter, James, Paul, all these guys talk about over and over again? Jesus, specifically a few things, and we see it in our text, that Jesus was a man who came from God. We see that in verse 22. That Jesus deliberately died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. We see that in verse 23. That God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. We see that in verse 24. That if we believe in Jesus and receive what he has done for us on the cross, we too will have life in him by faith. We see that in verse 38. Jesus is the most important thing that we've got to talk about, that the Holy Spirit wants us to concentrate on. It's so important. Why? Because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit's main thing is not to make people more moral or make people more 
religious or to improve people's lives. No, the main thing he's doing is pointing people to Jesus and what he has done for them, which means that's our task. Christians individually, as a church, our task is to point people to Jesus. To think about this practically for, for, for a moment, you know, think about conversations that maybe you've gotten into with people who don't identify as Christian. When you talk about Christianity, how do those conversations generally go? For me, most oftentimes, they center around objections or misconceptions that people have about Christianity. But if I'm not careful, I mean, I love those conversations. They're wonderful. I, I always find them engaging. But if I'm not careful, what can easily happen is they just remain in kind of like the debate area. Like, oh, well, this is what this means, and this is why it means that. When really, we need to hold out the words of life. We need to point to Jesus. So, for instance, when I was in college at Cal doing my undergrad, uh, I read a lot of what, what are known as apologetics books. Those are books that, that, are, uh, that give a defense for the faith. You know, answer questions like, you know, how could a good God allow pain and suffering? Or how can we take the scriptures as accurate and reliable and so on and so forth. I loved reading those books in that time. And, you know, being an undergrad at Cal, I had uh, no, small, uh, no few opportunities to talk about these things with my friends who were, you know, wanting to get into arguments and debates and so on and so forth. And, you know, I realized I'd get into these, these arguments and, or, or debates or whatever, and I just would share my thoughts. And so it's like, man, I could even, you know, win the, the, the debate or whatever, but really, what did it matter? In the end, what purpose did that serve? And I realized the answer to that is nothing, really. In light of what we're talking about here, if I didn't mention Jesus and what he came to do. Um, one of the books that we actually recommend at current, or at least make available on our, on our book table when we are meeting in person is, is an apologetics book by Tim Keller called The Reason for God. And it's an apologetics book that I actually do recommend because in each and every instance where Tim Keller writes or answers an objection uh, about the faith. He, he never does it in just a way of, and there's you know some nice interesting thoughts that you can share, but he always concludes or resolves the thought with why we need Jesus, specifically what he did on the cross. How could a good God allow pain and suffering? Well, here's what, here's what we can consider, but really it points to the, the need that, that Jesus came to suffer for us and so on and so forth. The, the, the point is, if you're tracking with me, we need to point to Jesus. We could talk about many things, but we need to talk about Jesus. We need to point to Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through us. So we have to lay out the words of life and Jesus, the gospel, the good news. Some people are, are not going to respond to that. Some people are going to make fun of you for that. Some people are going to be amazed and perplexed. And we need to hold out the words of life, offering it freely as it was offered freely to us. How does the Holy Spirit equip us for our mission? He also convicts. He convicts. When, when, after Peter's sermon, it says in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I mean, I love that language. It's very colorful language. They were cut to the heart. That's saying they were feeling convicted. Convicted about what? Well, the good news only comes from the fact that there's some bad news. You know, the gospel being good news only comes because there's some bad news. And the bad news is we rejected God. We said, you know what, God? I, I don't want you. I don't want to follow your ways. And that's what sin is. 
It's, it's when we hurt our, you know, we do things that hurt our relationships with others. We do things that hurt ourselves. And, and first and foremost, we do things that hurt our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit convicts us and helps us see that we aren't, we, we are people in desperate need of him. And this crowd saw that their need for him. How did they do that? Well, Peter at one point, very boldly, just said, just, I mean, he just went for it with these guys. He said, you were the ones who crucified Jesus. You were the people with the help of wicked men, meaning the Romans, that crucified Jesus. And in a sense, that probably was true of some of these people in the crowd. They probably literally were some of the people in the crowd yelling, crucify him to Pontius Pilate to, in order to send Jesus to the cross. So that probably was true for a number of these people in that crowd. But it was true theologically in the sense for all of them and for all of us today in that what sent Jesus to the cross? Well, our sin, our wrongdoing, our failings before God. All of our sin nailed him to the cross. And some of what the Holy Spirit does is shows us our need for him. Which means, you know what? Becoming a Christian is not just saying, hey, you know what? I think that's cool. I'll become a Christian. Or, you know, I, th- I think it does, you know, does will do my life re- a lot of good if I become a Christian. Becoming a Christian is in a sense to say, I am unworthy before a holy God. That I am in desperate need of outside help help that only Jesus can give when he died on the cross for my sins. He knows everything that you've done, everything that I've done, and yet sent his son to die for you. And part of what he does to help us see that need is convict our hearts. Now, it's up to us what we do with that. Sometimes we can just write it off and say, you know what, I don't, there's nothing, that feeling isn't really there. Or we cover it over with, with another feeling, whatever it might be. But when the Holy Spirit moves in your heart, it's to draw you to put your faith in him, which leads us to the last thought, and that is the Holy Spirit saves. You know, he saves. It says in verse 30, 37, after the people ask, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Uh, One of the things that was on my heart this week as I was preparing and doing my study was, was thinking about the words Peter says in his sermon about how it's our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And I was just letting that kind of rest on me and feeling the weight of that and you know that that's a heavy thing to sit in but then i realized that the whole point of this sermon the whole point of this message is not to is not for the holy spirit just through peter to just to say hey you know what you know it's your sin that pegged jesus to the cross and now you just need to feel the wrath or you just need to understand you've got something coming to you or you just need to understand god's through with you that's not what he says the whole point is god convicts us in order to say, and this is why Jesus came. He wants us to see our need, that we would receive what he has done for us, that he would save us. And we can receive that by faith. Peter says more uh, specifically, he says, we are to repent and be baptized. Repentance is not saying, oh yeah, I think sin is wrong. No, it's, it's, it's changing course. It's saying, because this is what Jesus has done for me. I want to start living the life he calls me to do and heading in that direction. And then being baptized really is a public declaration 
of our following Jesus. It's putting a stake in the ground and saying, yeah, I'm a follower of yours. In other words, it's believing in him and, and living a life that reflects that. There's some action to it. And Peter says here, when we do this, there are two promises. The fir- first promise is that we will receive forgiveness of sins. It's like the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. We'll receive forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And the other promise here is that when we believe in Jesus, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And all the things that we are talking about today, he will be there for you and empower and equip you. Today, if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus, you can do so. You can do that even now. By praying, God, I, you know, forgive me my sins. You know, I recognize that I am unworthy before a holy God, and I, and, I, and I receive by faith what Jesus did for me on the cross. I put my faith in you today. I want to follow you today. Will you help me in that? And if that's you, we'd love to come alongside you, resource you, be a support to you in any way that we can. And we'd love to help you be baptized as a next step because repent and be baptized is what Peter said. And we're equipped to do that even during shelter in place. We've actually celebrated over the last two weeks four baptisms, so we could set that up for you. If, that, if you're interested in that, do let us know. We'd love to come alongside you in that. And then for all who have received Jesus, this is what he calls us into. This is our task, to point people to Jesus to pay attention, look for the opportunities that he's constantly opening, and and to to step into those opportunities knowing that he will embolden us as we point people to Jesus. That's our task. Will you look for ways to do that even this week? Come out today and to the drive-thru, grab a couple of care kits that can help you in this, even as we, we use these to spark conversations or just to show a token of our love and care for those around us. But how can you join the Holy Spirit in our mission as a church, even this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit, that he points us to Jesus. Lord, we all need Jesus. Lord, we all desperately need him, starting with ourselves. And we thank you that you forgive us our sins. And we thank you that you empower us to not only receive the love that you offer so freely, but to make that readily available to those around us. Lord, would you give us your Holy Spirit to equip and empower us toward all of this. As individuals, as a church, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.